Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. If we don't encounter Easter morning with a sense of impossibility and, and, and incredulity, like, like what is this thing that we actually believe, I don't know that we're doing it right. You know, it's, it's a preposterous thing that we hold to. Resurrection of the dead unto eternal life is something that is wholly in the realm of promise for us. Not without evidence, not without promise, not without hope, not blindly, and yet we wrestle with it. We wrestle with it so much. I, I was listening as I was driving in this morning. I was listening. I just threw on the CBC for whatever reason. I don't actually often listen to the CBC on my way into church. I wouldn't, you know, I'm not a hater, but it's not necessarily the sort of place I expect to feed my soul. But I think I was curious what, what was going to be on the radio on Resurrection Sunday. And... Uh, and so, and there was actually some programming. It was it was choral music. It was um, a beautiful rendition of um, "For I Know My Redeemer Lives," right? And the radio host referenced uh, Job, the ancient book of Job, and uh, and was speaking to this. And they were saying, for the next hour, you know, it's it's Easter morning, and for the next for the next hour, we're going to be. Uh, listening to a selection of choral pieces that celebrate renewal on the CBC. But you know what was funny? They couldn't get there. They couldn't. They, they stopped short of resurrection. Because how many of you know that a spirit of renewal is useless for a dead, bo- dead body? A spirit of renewal doesn't get us there. I believe that God renews our spirits. I believe that he energizes our spirits. I believe that this is something that happens. And we even have seasons where where we see the spirit of God move in profound ways and we see a renewal of the church. These are things that happen throughout time and they're beautiful moves. But that language falls short of the promise because it's not renewal that we're celebrating. Right? Right? If we were celebrating renewal, we would celebrate the, the, um, the, the, the decomposing structure of Jesus' body as it went and, re- and nourished the earth. It's a system of renewal that happens for all of us, right? That's not what we're celebrating. We're celebrating a breath that takes place in a tomb that is completely dark. A breath out of nowhere, Right? How many of you guys have seen Princess Bride? Right? And how many of you know that there's a difference between mostly dead and dead? Right? (laughs) Let us be clear. Jesus was not mostly dead. There was not some strange contraption that was going to suck life back or pull life back into him or whatever that bizarre scene was. What a movie, though. Today is about the resurrection of the dead. It's it's not even about going to heaven. 
because we could have got there in our heads. We could have got there as a concept. The Bible promises more than that. The Bible promises the resurrection of the dead. The Bible promises new bodies, spiritual bodies. We don't even know what that means. And there's so much mystery. And I don't want to come here today and, uh, and just kind of... Um, I don't have all the answers to this. We're going to let the, mes- the mystery stand. Because guess what? If I, try to, if I try to draw a square around this thing and hold it all in, you'll know I'll be lying to you. Because it can't, it can't be done. You can't circumscribe. You can't get around it. Right? Um, and here's the thing. So you guys know that I, I tend to like to reach for the edge, reach for the tension of seasons. I think you know that about me by now. And to be honest, Resurrection Sunday is one of those places where I just love to lean into the full promise and glory of what Jesus did and does. Just a full-on celebration. Because we see in, in the most full way possible in this story, we, we see the kingdom coming. The kingdom come. It's completely there in Jesus risen. Right? And yet I also need to make sure that we never, as a church, that we never in our devotion to the reality of Jesus' resurrection, that we hold to be true, actually, we must never hold on to that so dearly that we, that we drift over into propaganda. Because the world is still spinning today, and it's still broken today. And I wasn't even going to go here, because I don't like to go here, but I, I couldn't, I mean, I don't know if, if you guys have seen the news this morning. Like it's so in Sri Lanka on Resurrection Sunday, devastation and terror in Christian churches. At least 200 people dead, targeted attacks in hotels where there would be uh, Western people, Christian people, in, in the mindset of, of the perpetrators, I would assume. And that just so deeply offends my spirit. I'm just so mad about that this morning. You know, I want to stare down the forces of evil and say, could you not just give us this one day where you, where you just lay down and, and prove that you're done? I wish it was like that. But we are caught in attention. And, and before we go a step further, because we're not here to just we're not here to just tell a story, we're here to, to live into a story. Can we pray? And in Jesus' fashion, can we also pray for the perpetrators, whoever they are? Lord, today is a day around the world that reverberates with the with the expression, He is risen, and the answer, He is risen indeed. And today is a day of all days when we lean in and stand firm on your resurrection, on your promise, on your hope. And yet, God, evil still has teeth. Death may not have its sting somehow, and yet evil still seems to have teeth. And so, Lord, we ask that by your spirit that you would speak into the, into the lives of the, of the families who are wrestling with this. 
God, we ask that your spirit would do a work that would be miraculous in this. And Lord, we ask that for those who did this thing, those who carry the, the, the weight, the guilt, the responsibility, Lord, that your gospel would even spill over into their lives. And that, Lord, that they would come to know you. However this stuff works, I don't understand how it works, Jesus, but we just, we invite you into our real lives this morning. Amen. Yep. So how in a world like this do we do we press into what what I would say is the reality of the resurrection? Um it's not really my my goal this morning to prove the resurrection to to you or to us. I will declare emphatically that that I I believe it to be Absolutely true, historically true, true in every measure of that word. Um, of course, I can't prove it to you. There's tension around it, even within the lifetime of the witnesses of this event. And Paul addresses that in some of his letters. And he says, I've seen the, I've seen the resurrected Jesus. And here's a list of all the others who have seen the resurrected Jesus. Right? Because we... we because it is, like, to say it's a stretch is, is understating it. Because we've never seen it. Has anyone ever seen or heard tell of somebody being prayed for and life coming back into their body? Has anyone? Okay. I can put my hand up. I haven't seen it, but I have friends who I absolutely trust who have seen these things. And that's wonderful. But guess what? Every single one of those people who have life and breath come back into their body uh, are still going to die. Right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that is holy, an other level. And so, I want to ask a question. Because it's one thing to, there's one thing to, uh, to declare it and to believe it as true. What I want to ask is, uh, for us this morning, is there such a thing as a practice of resurrection in our lives? Is there a practice of resurrection? It's more of a rhetorical question, but if you have a quick answer, you're welcome to it. The practice of forgiveness. Mm. <laughs> That's a pretty good answer. Yeah, I'll let that, well, we'll let that stand. That's a good answer. <laughs> That's good. I love it, actually. Thank you. <laughs> so when I, what do I even mean when I talk about a practice of resurrection? What in the world am I talking about? Well, I started thinking about the word practice. And we use it in, in sort of there's three different ways that we use the word practice. Um, let's just kind of, this is not rhetorical. Um, what's one of the ways that we would use the word Practice. practicing riding your bike and you're doing that so that you get better at it right 
It's a good, it's, it's a great answer, right? You know, I, I, I practice, on occasion, I practice juggling because I want to I impress kids. So I practice juggling from time to time. I'm not half bad at the basics of it. How else would, would we maybe use the word practice? Is there another way that we might use that word? Practicing medicine. medicine. Yeah. And so that's where we look at a discipline. We look at, and, and you sort of referenced it as well, spiritual discipline, spiritual practices. right? That's where we incorporate a regular activity becomes part of the practice of our life. It becomes part of the way we do things. I practice this. This is part of the way I do things, right? So we practice medicine. Um, we practice forgiveness. We can practice prayer, right? And that's where we're not practicing it necessarily in order to get better, but where we practice it because it's part of how we live life. And then there's another one that's kind of closely related to that. But if somebody has a practice, a medical practice, we might say, we would say it's a location where something is practiced, right? It's an actual place that's devoted to this, and that's what happens. This is what happens there, right? And I think that there's a place for all three of those applications when I ask the question, do we have a practice of resurrection in our life today? right now um, and the, you know your answer is a, is a, fan, is a fantastic one we, we can practice forgiveness right um, I want to I want to just think for a moment on on what it was that Jesus actually did and what got solidified in that moment that flash of life that showed up in the tomb you know, he did, he, and we've talked about this, he did a work on the cross. He accomplished some things, right? And then when he rose again, it was a demonstration that he had actually accomplished those things. And so I, in contemplating this, I, I have four words, four ideas that came to me that is what Jesus was victorious over. And this is the thing, you know, Jesus, the lamb who was slain, Jesus who chose to go to the cross, Jesus who, um, through this defeat, like jujitsued all of evil, right? I love that term, jujitsued. Basically, it's just when you take the force of your opponent and you redirect it against them, right? And I think that's a very apt description. I'm not necessarily endorsing that as a martial art, but I think as a metaphor it works really, really well for what Jesus did. Because he did that to the cross, right? All of the force, all of the energy, all of that that was directed at him on the cross, he flipped it around and he, he did this utter defeat of all of these things. But what was defeated? Well, here's what we believe. We believe that death was defeated. These are declarations of the church. Whether or not you believe this is not for me to say. I would encourage you towards these beliefs. Death was defeated. Sin was defeated. The power of sin was defeated. It 
and this is this is one that sticks in my throat just a little bit this morning, but I still believe it to be true. Evil was defeated. And here's another interesting one that came to me, and this feels like a little bit of a, a little bit of an excursion, but I would say that in Jesus, decay, decay was also defeated. So death, sin, evil, decay. And these are things that feel like they're woven into the way the universe works on some level. At least our experience of it. Written somewhere around 200 years after the birth of Jesus. Uh, somebody who I believe was like a, a desert father or something. Uh, his name was Melito of Sardis. He wrote this. I think he preached a pretty good Easter sermon that year. He said this. But he, meaning Jesus, rose from the dead and mounted up to the heights of heaven. When the Lord had clothed himself with humanity and had suffered for the sake of the sufferer and had been bound for the sake of the imprisoned and had been judged for the sake of the condemned and buried for the sake of the one who was buried, he rose from the dead and cried with a loud voice, Who is he that contends with me? Let him stand in opposition to me. I set the, I set the condemned man free. I gave the dead man life. I raised up one who had been entombed. Who was my opponent? I, he says, am the Christ. I am the one who destroys death and triumphed over the, over the enemy and trampled Hades, which is the underworld, the place of the dead, underfoot. And I bound the strong one and carried off men to the heights of heaven. I, he says, I am the Christ. And it's important that we don't lose sight of what we call Christ as victor, Jesus victorious, right? The enemy run through, finished. So, two things that I want to suggest or mention and we've talked about one already pretty extensively. One is Easter fact, the fact of Easter. And I think that we, in our particular stream of the church, the way that we tend to follow Jesus, we've done a pretty okay job with this, Easter as fact. This is um, something that we just build from the ground up. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, that actually happened. It wasn't just a metaphor. It wasn't just an idea. This is, this is actually a thing. He did this. Right? And, you know, and, and that, has, that question has been around, as I mentioned, for some time. Paul, in his letter to 1 Corinthians, or to the Corinthian church, rather, his first letter to them, says this. But if, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Jesus, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. It's like one of the most direct things, right? It's pretty hard to like nuance that, right? If it didn't happen, your faith is useless. Okay, so... 
I want to invite you into the belief that this is a thing. (laughs) One of the things, though, that is a bit more challenging for us is to move from Easter fact, which is absolutely necessary, but to also incorporate also incorporate Easter faith. And that's what I'm talking about when I ask the question, do we have a practice of this? So I want to hang this primarily, again, on Paul's writings. I want to hang this on Colossians. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, if we're not careful, we can, we can read that, we can read into that that all of the things of the earth are meaningless, that our lives, our physical lives, are not to be worried about, but that we should just closet ourselves and become creatures of prayer and, intersect, and intercession and to not intersect with the world that we live in. And that goes against the teachings and the model of Jesus, but it's a compelling, um, it, it's a compelling story that, that, that can pull us if we're not really careful. That is not what is being talked about here. What's being talked about here is that there's, there, are, there are systems and practices that are woven into our experience of life. Death, sin, evil, decay. Taxes, pay your taxes. <laughs> Sorry. Set your minds on things above. Set your mind on, on the promises that lie on the other side of the grave. Now, what do I mean by that? We're going to get there in a second. Because we, we can go sideways with that as well. I had a fairly substantial idea that came to me. It kind of struck me. Because when I talk about being reaching for the things that are on the other side of the grave, what that might sound like, if we're not careful, is it might sound like just shore up your lives, try not to make a mess. Um, If you're suffering, just hold on. It's going to be okay, because when you die that's going to be better on the other side, right? You're going to go to heaven when you die or whatever that specific thing looks like. And I just want to say emphatically that that is not what I'm referring to. And that's not what Paul is referring to when he talks about setting our minds on things above and not on earthly things. Here's what I mean. So in our experience... In our experience, death is a closed door, right? We don't, we don't transact back and forth. That's not been my experience on this thing, right? Um, and I'm just, I, I don't know if I'm going to uh, uh, offend anyone by this or not. Hope not. Um, I hold very loosely 
stories of people who have died and who have, and, and who have come back. I just hold those stories very, very loosely. I'm not saying that God never moves that way or brings a revelation or something, but I hold them very, very loosely. And there's lots of reasons for that. I feel... I feel pretty firm in this idea that that's, there's, that there's a divide that exists. And that's why we don't have a lot of information. You guys know that? We don't have a lot of information about the other side. We know that, the, I mean, it seems like there's light and there's a light that grows and you know, different people have different experiences, but that's my answer for it. If anyone's looking for really good, clear distinctions about what, it, what it's like on the other side, my answer is typically, I don't know. We don't have a lot of information about that. And so, apart from the work of Jesus, impenetrable. And so in that space, death is not the work of reconciliation. It's not the work of a coming together. It's, it's, a, it's a severing. It's a separation. That's experience. That's why it's so painful. When we lose someone, we may carry our memory with them, right? But we don't commune with them. And that's why what Christ's work and his promise says is such a good word. Because in Christ, that is not so. Like, do you realize that the fact that Jesus uses language that calls us through the cross, and in Paul, he, there's this invitation, to, and Jesus himself, right? Don't seek to save your life, but to lose it. There's this idea that he calls us through this process of dying unto something. And that is so contrary. That is so not the way that we naturally go because it doesn't feel like that at all. But I believe that Jesus has actually taken a tomb, like we sang this morning. He's taken a tomb and he has, make, he has turned it into a womb of new creation. Right? And, and this, is, this is a hope for us. This is where we hang our hat. This is why we pray for people. This is why we engage in the world around us. This is why it matters the way that we live. And it matters for us to have a practice of resurrection. Because new creation and eternal life leak in through, through the resurrection of Jesus. Right? Through this idea that we are raised in Christ. We are buried with Christ. Right? We die to sin. We we are, and, and, and by the way, the severing language, and that's where that, we are severed from sin. It is, we cannot, there's, this, there's a reality that we cannot reach to it now. The things that would disqualify us, we, we might feel like we do, but we can't reach it. It's on the other side of death. We can't get there. Right? And yet, in this dark tomb where there's this sharp inhalation of breath, and Jesus is resurrected, the first, the first of the promise of, of our resurrection. 
new creation and eternal life leak in through the process of that happening in our lives. And so when we engage in something like a practice of forgiveness, new creation and eternal life leak into those relationships. New life is found there. What else does it look like to have a practice of resurrection in our lives? Well, sometimes it means that we look to the things that have died. We look to the dreams that have died. We look to hopes that have died. Because guess what? We don't experience a flourish of resurrection anywhere but inside of a tomb. That's the only place we do that. And so, what does it look like? To, what does it look like to bury our ego? What does it look like to bury our sense of fairness? That's because that's where we can find Easter. We can find Easter in our in our relationships. If we bury that stuff, if we allow those things to go to die. The things that we struggle with are sins. Man, that's a hard one because those, those things seem to resuscitate. Do they, do they resuscitate for you guys? Do they renew, get renewal? Our sins get renewal in your lives? Right? Jesus, help us, help us to bury those things. Because in the tomb, from that tomb leaks resurrection, leaks eternal life into our practice now. I'm closing up here in just a second. I just had a really good thought that was not in my notes and it just flitted away. Yeah, maybe it will. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I hope you're picking up what I'm laying down here today. Yeah, here it is. So we spent some time, and we're not going to unpack it in any great depth, obviously. But we've talked about, about how the process that Jesus chose to, to die as a, a, an act of crucifixion, that it was not an immediate thing. It was a drawn-out process. I can only imagine that it felt like a bit of an eternity And I want to encourage you in your wrestles with those things that you you need to find resurrection in, but you just can't seem to put them in the ground. I want to encourage you that it's interesting to me that when Jesus did what he did, it wasn't 
It wasn't by gallows. It wasn't by like any of the historical things. Like, Kids are here. I don't want to creep anybody up. But it wasn't instant. It was, it was long. Uh, it was drawn out. And it was painful. And that is often my experience with the things that I most desperately ask to see the resurrection life evidenced in my own life. And so I want to invite you into a camaraderie with Jesus. I believe, this is a strange Easter Sunday message, but I, I believe that God is working that death in your life, the thing that you that you long to see, you 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 want to be distant from it. Death, sin, decay, evil. But he is doing it. And we and we will we will find that. We will act and because and we have. I want to invite you as well into into your own memories of those moments where there has been that flourish of life. Okay, we're going to close with this. It's a quote from uh, a, a writer who's passed away, a guy named Robert E. Weber. It's a, from a book called The Ancient Future Time that I just uh, really have a great affection for. He says this, Easter Sunday... It's the most important Sunday. It's the Sunday of all Sundays. It's the day of the new beginning of the entire cosmos. It's the day of resurrection. It's actually why we gather on Sundays instead of Saturdays, because this is when it happened. In our worship, I would add, in our followership of Jesus, we must be careful not to reduce our message to the Easter fact only. The Easter fact needs to be proclaimed and included in our message that God makes all things new. But it must also include the message that we have been raised with Christ. Calling God's people to die to sin and to rise to new life is central not only to Easter day but to the entire to the entire story. And so I hope that's what you've heard. I took that as a charge this morning to call us to, to call us to die to sin and to rise to new life in Jesus. And also to be patient in the process.